Rosenthal here, uh, hopeful producer of the new The Qual Report podcast. Uh, and I'd like to bring on um, Ron Chennai, uh and Sally St. George and Dan Wolf. If you guys would like to introduce yourselves formally, please jump in. Okay. Uh, well, thanks, Adam. Uh, this is Ron Shanai, and uh, I've been with the journal since the beginning. I share the editor-in-chief role with uh, Sally and Dan, and uh, look forward to the opportunity to share a little bit about our story and a little bit about the world of qualitative research. Hi, Adam. Thanks. And hi, Ron. Um, and hi, Dan, who's sitting next to me. Um, I'm Sally St. George, and I've been with the journal since uh, finishing my PhD work in 94. And I've been with the journal in quite a variety of capacities, starting out as an author. And I'm Dan Wolf. Glad to be here. Thanks, Adam and everyone. Um, uh, it's great to talk about some of the beginnings of the qualitative report, uh, particularly because I've just entered retirement. It's kind of fun now to look back at where we've been and uh, where we're going to go next. Yeah, so I guess I'll, this is so this is our origin story. I guess if we were superheroes, this is the origin episode. Adam, is that correct? Yeah, I would say that. I think um, the people who have listened to us before and, and other you know events that we've done, we're always presenting research or we're presenting uh, about the journal in terms of the editorial board and stuff. And I think this is a good uh, good chance to kind of tell people how you started. Uh, you know, what was going on in your mind at the time? I mean, we're going on 32 years now, right? Yeah, I started it uh, when I was in preschool and uh, on Krypton. I started on Krypton. And then, of course, the planet was, no, we, we started, uh, I guess it started in the late 80s where it was, um, I don't know whether we're, we were, we would consider ourselves disruptors or we're going to use more contemporary lingo or influencers. But uh, the world in in our area of family therapy or psychology or uh, maybe any area outside of anthropology, social work and education and nursing, maybe um, it was really uh, there was, when people said research, it was just uh, traditional experimental and uh, um, uh, quantitative. And so um, whether you could uh, uh, design a study for your dissertation or whether you could find a journal that would write, would, would publish uh, something in qualitative research uh, to write a grant where that was your methodology. It was really not that uh, popular. And so um, I had approached a, uh, I was very fortunate in my, in my doctor program uh, where there were a lot of folks that because of the clinical area and case studies and things like that, that the uh, qualitative approach, uh, descriptive, more naturalistic, getting to learn something about your client, those sorts of things, uh, there seemed to be a fit uh, in that. And so um, I was at a family therapy conference uh, back in the late 80s and uh, went to the uh, Sage booth. Uh, Sage is a, a publisher, as a lot of you are aware of. And you know, I was just new to everything. I didn't realize that there just weren't people selling books, but they're actually the publisher or the editor or the the uh, um, journal developer, and I, I uh, struck up a relationship with uh, this person at Sage, and I had no idea about, I thought, for, I just saw journals, they were on the shelves, and I just thought they, you know, came from God or something like that, but they're actually created by people and publishers, and and they do things like business plans. So 
I said that uh, I thought qualitative research was going to be something that would be valuable and there just wasn't much on it. So she uh, guided me through the process of how to, to propose a journal. And um, it was to kind of look at qualitative research across uh, mental health, psychology, social work, uh, you know, clinical nursing, and so forth. And so um, Sage had just started uh, the, um, uh, the health research one, Jan Morris's journal. They just started that one. And so I knew that they had, and they, you know, they sold books in that area. So it went all the way through, went all the way through the process, external reviewers and so forth. Everyone loved it and all this kind of stuff. And then it got to the accountants. And uh, there was a, the, the politics were is that they had just launched one journal and they were worried about maybe that was just too many qualitative research journals at one time. But the other thing was it said, you know, you're covering way too many disciplines and way too many professions. And it was just going to be too expensive to fly somebody to all these conferences to sell the journal and to recruit it, recruit for it. And they said, so we're going to pass on it. Mm. So it was very interesting. We could argue it was a print journal and the way things were marketed and understood. But uh, so we were all in the family therapy and social work and, and counseling areas and they're very different conferences. So I was like, okay, uh, get it. So I, I got back to Nova University at that time here in Florida, and I was very dis disappointed. But then I got angry, and I said, I think they're wrong. <laughs> I think that they're, that um, that this does have a place. And so with some colleagues, uh, Tony Heath and Brent Atkinson up at uh, Northern Illinois, uh, we decided to launch the journal. I went to the, our president at that time, Abe Fischler, and I said, I'd like to do this. And he says, is it going to cost me any money? I said, well, I don't think so. He said, okay, you can do it. So that's how the qualitative report started. Uh, very much a grassroots, kind of a mimeograph kind of thing. And uh, if I would go to conferences, I would bring uh, the papers with me. And this was just at the infancy of um, the internet. And so it was just kind of a, I don't know, it wasn't even a mom and a pop, maybe just a couple of pops. And <laughs> that's what we were doing. But that's where I met Sally and Dan at the family therapy conference uh, a number of years ago. But the, the big thing was, is that, you know, I was curious about this internet thing was happening and there were these browsers, all text browsers. So I went to a technician here at, at the university and I said, what if we put this online? I didn't even know I used that term. And I said, there was a thing called Gopher Space at that time, which was a, trans, a file transfer uh, system that was um, through the University of Minnesota. And he said, no, no, I think, I think you wanna go with this thing called the World Wide Web. I'd never heard of that before. We're talking about 91, 92. And he said, I think this is gonna be a big thing. And why don't we try that? And that's how we ended up being an online journal was that uh, we wanted to get the word out to folks um, we didn't have a budget. The university had an internet connection. And uh, that's how we started to become the journal that we would become in terms of uh, um, on the internet, an e-journal, out it would go. And I think that was our first phase. And that's the time where Sally and, and Dan came aboard as we started getting, we started getting, we started getting papers from people we didn't know. <laughs> Up until that time, we probably knew a lot of the authors. We had to solicit a lot of papers about that. And it was called the qualitative report because we wanted to report on what was going on with qualitative research. And then it became that then it surprised me the first time we got a paper 
that was from, I think it was from education. I go, why are they sending a paper on education to us? But they saw that we could give them a good review because we understood qualitative methodology. At the other journals where they were sending their papers, people didn't seem to know what to do when they got a paper like that. And that's when, as I say, Sally and Dan came on board. And then um, um, we then kind of figured out what do we do with all these strange papers we're getting. And so just to give the listeners uh, a, a nice glance into this, Ron, you are hand coding all of these papers. Isn't that right? Yes, I learned how to be an HTML programmer. So I would get the papers and I would program every paragraph. You know, the, if, you, if you're familiar with uh, HTML, it's like a little bracket, P bracket, that means paragraph. So I would take these word papers and I would go through and I would go and, and just program, we, we program, everything was in HTML. This was before Adobe PDF was popular and went through and did that for every paper uh, and uh, then would upload it through a, a Telnet connection with a, with a uh, file transfer protocol. So I learned HTML, I learned uh, all this other uh, languages that uh, to get this up and going. And uh, so, you know, thank goodness for new platforms and, and converting stuff to PDF. But yeah, I would spend weekends just uploading papers like that. Uh, so it's a wonder I can even see it all today. <laughs> and uh, Sally and Dan, now that you guys are co-editor in chief, so what, what was your experience when you joined? You said it was in 93, 94. How did you guys get in contact with Ron? And what, what was that, that journey like getting on board with this? Yeah, I might have misspoken. I think maybe what happened was I started looking at it online because um, I must have printed out one of the articles because I was cleaning out a drawer the other day and and I found it in there. So I started by reading and then we kept meeting Ron at different family therapy conferences. And I don't know who was stalking who, but that, that's a long story. Anyways, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm really trying to remember now, but I, I think actually... Um, you know, we were appreciative and in grad school, we were doing qualitative research for dissertations and finding that we were some of the first people to be doing qualitative dissertations. So Ron would give us little pieces of advice as well. And um, I think you asked us to become reviewers or junior reviewers, actually. I love yeah. my reviewing story about how I learned qualitative research through Ron because of reviewing. Go ahead. Well, I, I definitely saw we were kindred spirits. Uh, Tony and Brent had changed careers and gone on in different directions. So it was uh, me at the journal. And I was always looking for people who I thought got it. And, you know, you know, the, the, the very tribal, you know, similar values, similar appreciation. That word you use, Sally, appreciation. And so I said, wow, uh, they're doing the kinds of things that I think are great. And I always try to encourage folks to do that. So I... I you know, invite to come and join the community. And that's where we started. I started thinking of the journal more about a community. You know, so the journal, I always say that you know, originally the journals, the scholarly journals and that were formed by scholarly societies, right? This would be their journal. So the, their community of scholars created the journal. But online, your journal creates the community. Like what Sally said, I, I, I read it online and then there's an affinity to it. And so whenever I, I, I experienced that, I, I went, okay, so uh, you're a reader. Would you like to be an author? Would you like to be a reviewer? You know, would you like green eggs with ham? You know, you, it's that kind of thing. You keep asking that. 
and uh, and just looking at a multiple relationships because um, that's what happened. Uh, that Sally and Dan joined uh, the the merry uh, band of little pranksters, and uh, we were we were uh, having a lot of fun. And then I, you know, I'm terrible this way. I go, well, maybe I could ask them to do a little bit more. <laughs> and then I said, would you think about coming on at reviewers, but then also uh, a leadership role as far as editing? And so why don't you talk about the, the great uh, Kentucky adventures that we had, which really then took the journal to really the way it is today and how we approach it, approach authors and how we approach the papers. I think that we... Um... I really resonate with this idea of the importance of relationships. When we first met, we kind of um, hit it off. It was in the family therapy world. Um, we had connections through our major professor who was Harv Joning at the time. And, and Ron knew him through his days at Texas Tech prior to, um, uh, prior to Nova. And so we kind of started to kind of feel this, this connectedness, which then just kept growing. And uh, we were living in uh, Louisville, Kentucky at the time. And so we decided that uh, in the spirit of kind of developing relationships that we would invite uh, Ron and Jan to come to Kentucky to kind of spend a weekend. And we could kind of, you know, brainstorm new ideas and think about things, also have some fun, go to the Derby, um, just hang out. And so I think that that kind of, those kinds of events, which in corporate land looks like they call them retreats or some kind of, they've got fancy organizational names, but this was really just kind of a, a chance to come together, relax, kick back, have some drinks, laugh. And I think that that kind of just kept, kept us rolling. It kept us um, alive in what we were doing. It wasn't just kind of a a business, or it wasn't just kind of a, a, um, a professional activity, it became kind of personal. And I, I think that as I look back, I, I think that it's very hard to separate the personal and the professional. We've really kind of merged them and events like coming to Louisville and other places after that, you know, kind of just helped us grow together as kind of a family or a community. Um, and so, I think it's easy for us to talk about the development of community in terms of the journal because we were developing a community, almost a, a family, uh, as a group of, of uh, editors. And I think that the the face to face or the times we came face to face were very important because we engaged in quite a bit of reflection. We looked at what was <clears throat> what was working, what we were learning. Um, what troubles we were experiencing, and we always then made some changes based on on those kinds of talks. So I always felt like this journal was just it was just one experience of growth after another, and our participation in it. So I think those were important pieces too. And still to this day, we would add things, or we would subtract things, or we would try some different ways of um, mentoring. Our, our authors so that we could be more successful and because um and lots of times we would say Ron we probably need to think about this because we're spending our entire weekend on TQR so our weekends were known as TQR 
And I can't think of a better way to, to while away the time <laughs> reading papers from around the world. So one of the things that's a trademark of our approach with papers is we ask authors, and I think this is a, a common quality of qualitative research, is the, who you are as the researcher, who you are as the investigator is very important because you influence so much of what, what's happening. And so we kind of sort of embraced, I guess, who we were, who we are. Uh, we're all from the helping profession, right? Counseling. We work with people. We, we could talk about the Rogerian, you know, the positive, unconditional acceptance of the author, the papers and other matter, right? And so that relationship was important because we were seeing that these authors were going through the similar experiences we had gone through. Maybe they're the first in their country, the first at their university, the first in their department, the first student, and they were kind of learning it on their own. And qualitative research is, is a challenge. So we saw that we're also teachers and we embrace learning. And so for most of our experience was with journals that uh, were based upon, I guess, sort of rejection rates, you know, this kind of uh, uh, you know, only a few can, only the few make it, right? And so to, to reject an author to reject the paper when they were, we, we felt they were reaching out to us and seeking that kind of assistance. And so we developed this manuscript development process where we would say, we've accepted your paper into the manuscript development program. So even just accepting them was very positive and, and you know, very happy about it. You know, like, oh my gosh, I've accepted. Yes, but we got, we got some work to do on it. But we, like Dan said, we, we created this relationship with them and that we would continue to work with them sometimes all weekend <laughs> or weekends or months going back and forth that we would share. And our comments were not like, like a movie comment. I, I, you know, I love the opening act, but we, 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 we certainly share our appreciation. But again, we're, we're kind of prescriptive. You know, we're not pharmacists, but we're still prescriptive. And we would start to give guidance as to... Um, you know, the, the abstract is a bit too abstract. And here's how we think that you can make the abstract a lot clearer. And sometimes we would go no further in the paper and just read that. There was no sense to piling up the negative comments or, you know, work on this, work on this, but let's kind of build it in a progressive developmental process. And so that's the way we approached it. And so regardless of the discipline or regardless of the profession, we started developing this sort of, um, I guess the aesthetics or the poetics, if you wish, about what we were looking for in papers that we felt were based upon uh, good qualitative uh, research practices. And then that's where Sally created our, our first, I guess, major tool. You want to share what you did with that, Sally? Which major tool? Oh, the, 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 well, your, the yeah, your comments, the comments you collected in that. Oh, I would. I, um, um, I found myself repeating certain comments um and i need to go back and tell the story of learning to review from ron because this is pretty important but i'll do that after anyways i found that well, I you can talk about me all you want so that's that's okay. fine by me so. <laughs> i found that i was repeating certain comments and so i started keeping a list of them and um and then dan you started keeping a list of the ones that you were repeating too they weren't always the same but they were pretty pretty close. And so we probably met one time and said, you know, can we have this set of what we called them ready review comments that we could put in there, like about the abstract and a recommendation for uh, presenting an abstract or 
what we thought needed to be in a lit review or in an introduction to some basics in an introduction that were missing. And so, um, yeah, those became very helpful and we could use them as editors to help reviewers um, do a better job and, and help see what we were looking for. So a lot of the times we were asking authors to add things that we didn't see, I think. And that filled out the, the report they were writing so that it would give greater confidence to readers about the research that had been conducted and then the results that they were reporting. Yeah, we were dealing with a lot of where uh, people may have come to qualitative research through a qualitative quantitative lens, mm -hmm. that that's what they read in journals. And so the method sections in a quantitative paper can be relatively short. Here's the here's the, the you know the the research question. Here's the here's the the instrument I used. Here's the statistics I did. Here's my sample, and then you're done because they're all very standardized. And then you'd read the results. There'd be a table showing the participants. There'd be a table showing the statistical results of the analysis. That was the results section. And then the discussion was a little bit more talking about that I, you know, that I reject my null hypothesis, all that kind of stuff. So we we were saying no, we we need to know more detail about what you did, because there's a, there's you create a method, and in qualitative it's iterative. You might make changes and adjustments and so forth, and we want a greater uh, clarity about what people were doing, and and we wanted it to uh, cohere. Someone you know would say I'm doing grounded theory which is a type of qualitative research methodology, which produces a theory, right, from the ground up. And we'd be looking and looking and looking, and we would find no theory. So we would we would say, uh, you know, I'm not sure that's what you did. I, 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 it's interesting, I reviewed a paper for another journal this last week, and the authors called it modified grounded theory. Mm -hmm. And I said, how much do you modify grounded theory before it's not grounded theory anymore? Right. They just took bits and pieces. So we really wanted things to be coherent. And those are the comments we were making over and over and over again. So we do uh, our reviews are progressive. So uh, as editors, we read the paper and decide that we're going to put it out for external review. And we send it to one of our reviewers who puts their 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 comments in the in the right hand column using Microsoft Word comments and track changes. And we want to put everything into the paper because we thought it'd be confusing if you're just learning how to do it. And you've got three separate reviews that you got to figure out how all of these reviews make sense in the one paper. And I've got to read four different documents. And we thought that was just way too complicated. So the first person gets the paper, puts the reviews in, sends it to the next person. The next person reads it puts their comments in, it's a progressive uh, building of these, and finally works its way to the editor, who then can look at, and our, our comments have a balance of, you know, add a girl, add a boy, good job, uh, reading along, whether it's clear or not, compliments, but also these prescriptions that we feel are, you know, uh, uh, better practices in there. And I think that's what Sally was saying. So as she was, as we were reading these reviews, we weren't just reading the papers, we were reading the other reviews, and learning from each other. I think that's what you wanted to, to share. Yeah, that was part of it. And then the other part is we started developing, I think, almost a conversational tone in the margin of the paper with the comments. So if I'm the editor and I'm, I've got two reviewers sets of comments there, I could say, um, it, you know, as you read this, you could see our confusion 
the first author thought this, the second, or the second, the, I'm sorry, the first reviewer thought this, second reviewer th thought this, and now I think this. So I think this sets, hopefully sends the message that we're not, we're not clear. And so this part probably needs some clarification. And, um, and then the editors, those reviews would go to Ron and then Ron would, would um, he'd look them over and he would, he would add his own comments or he would say good review or whatever before it went back to the author. Ron, so it seems you guys spent the first few years really setting that developmental tone um, and building up your, your, your board uh, to include folks like Sally and Dan. Um, at that point, once you kind of get your your base established, like what what are you doing next? So I'm thinking like the mid to late '90s. How are you getting the word out about this? Because still, the internet's not a huge thing yet. There's no social media. You know, there's no marketing online. So, what sort of strategies and what was like the next step for the journal um, over that period of time? Well, you know, I guess a lot of things. Um, you know, we 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 were we we switched platforms. We we um, trying to remember. We went to uh, a manuscript uh, development uh, a platform where the papers are submitted. You speak to would just email them to me, and and I would just settle that way. So uh, we we got more sophisticated with the system that we used in terms of managing the manuscripts. So one development was um, the uh, the software that we use now that was through the university uh, is. Um, it's easier for people to find uh, the articles. So well, what, I, I guess I had a, a very rudimentary web page, you know, that HTML programming that you were mm -hmm. talking about before. And so we started adding some other resources. So, um, you know, I used to like playing uh, quest video games, you know, playing the Legend of Zelda and collecting so many uh, parts of the heart, whatever like that. But then I got into like, well, let me see if I can find other, find resources that are on the internet that would be helpful. So I started finding websites of, uh, of um, uh, you know, this is a website about phenomenology. It's a website about grounded theory. This is a, an association. So I tried to create a community um, you know, the, the Yahoo, I don't know if people remember Yahoo, but Yahoo had a series of lists. So I created lists of here are, here are syllabus that are online. You know, before people used to put their syllabus behind, you know, firewalls, you can't see them. Uh, a lot of faculty would post their syllabus. So I had that. Uh, a lot of papers were posted online, even, even, you know, in gopher space. And I would create these hyperlinks. And uh, so those, when you would search qualitative research, uh, my list would pop up and they were very popular. And of course it was, I always, you know, I don't know it was a compliment. I would, people would basically steal my list, copy the HTML and post it as their own list and do that. But so now we had uh, the journal and then we had oh, about a half dozen of these lists. I've done the same thing for family therapy and conflict resolution about, you know, what, what where the degree programs are, where is this? Because I wanted to help people become aware of they're not alone, right? Um, you know, it's the funny thing. We've gotten papers now from authors from 105 different countries, and they make all similar mistakes. So they all do similar things because it's all about qualitative research. And so what I want to do is to say, okay, here is a great resource for you, and trying to make it again the open access that people could find out about it. So I guess that was the next um, 
you know, we, we all would go to our conferences and people would know us as the qualitative research group. They would have read our things. And, but we had no idea, you know, we, we could search in Google and see if we were at the top of the list and stuff like that. But I think that was the next move that got people to become more aware of us, uh, but was, was creating these free online resources, which to this day, you can still find them on our website where they're uh, for download our list uh, of the ready review comments. We share our comments with the world. If you wanna see what we think goes, uh, what are the, the good parts of a quality research paper, you can read that. So we we try to share our our things going on. So I, I guess, when, when did you come on board, Adam? I jumped in around 2012. So when I came in, you were still hand coding the website and um, as you were just mentioning about the resource list and finding um, other valuable pieces of information for the community that you guys are, are building, you created a, uh, a weekly newsletter that I then took over. But if you wanna kind of talk about the origin of the newsletter. Yeah, so so up until that time period, we were probably, I think, I think we were doing, was it quarterly? We were putting out, uh, if we could, because production was terrible, it was when I could find time to, to uh, we didn't have a big, if we had 12 submissions a month, that was a lot. And so we were publishing four times a year and maybe we'd have six papers. You can go online, you, or all our papers online, you can go see what we were doing back then. And so uh, the uh, university, uh, I, I convinced the powers that be here to start a graduate certificate in qualitative research. Again, thinking that there is, you know, more many different ways that you can learn uh, qualitative research. So, I thought that, well, how could I market the the the, uh, the certificate? So, started the the weekly, and so I talked Sally and Dan, a couple of other folks we had on on board, saying, well, what if we all commit that, uh, you know, we go in rotation, we'll all write a book review, right? And so we'll, this was kind of a what's going on, and kind of going back to the roots of the reporting part. So in the weekly, we would report on, and Adam has, has done this much more aesthetically pleasing than I've done, is that we would talk about, uh, here's a new book that had been published. Uh, here are some new articles that were published. We always emphasize articles that were open access that you could get and read. Uh, we would put in, um, here's where you can, uh, these are call for papers where you can submit and, uh, and uh, you know, these are conference calls. And then we also, uh, we would go like the Chronicle of Higher Education. We go that here are jobs. Here are actual jobs where they're looking for people with qualitative research skills. And part of it is, hey, and we got a certificate that you can then get these skills to then uh, be able to do that. So that's how the weekly started. And um, uh, it's, it's so how many people get the weekly every week at them now? I think right now we're up to over 10,000 with our own uh, listserv, and we also distribute it through other listservs as well. So as that started happening, we and then our platform uh, was uh, more searchable, is that people started discovering us. And we went from a quarterly to, I think, uh, every, every other month to every month. And so um, we kind of, uh, so we publish once a month, and but every week we release so many articles a week. So every every week we release four articles. It could be book reviews. It could be that. And so every week there's new product that goes out. 
at the end of the month, it becomes, you know, volume 29 issue, whatever. And so what Adam does is that it's kind of like an artist on, on uh, Spotify or iTunes. Uh, they release singles. So every week there's fresh product coming out that Adam promotes through uh, the, uh, the weekly. So in the past, we would promote other papers from other journals, but we, now we, we, we're, it's filled up with saying, here's the, here's the four that are coming out. And then, so by the, the, we publish that every Monday and by Friday, usually every one of those articles has been downloaded at least a hundred times. So for the authors, we, you know, the, the, the journalists don't subscription. So we want to get their papers out. And so, as I say, within days, they all of a sudden are getting probably more downloads than what they might get at uh, other journals. Because at that time period, many people, you know, did not like open access and uh, the, the commercial publishers didn't do that. Now every commercial publisher has an option where you can pay and have uh, your article downloaded uh, or, you know, free open access. And so we were doing that way before most people were, were, were doing that. And uh, again, people were very critical of it, but I think over time people saw that that was a way to do it. So again, the idea being is that we got, you know, our tagline is where the world comes to learn qualitative research, but it's to get the word out and to let people know about that and to, uh, to be able to uh, help or just help people learn. So now every day um, over 2000 uh, papers are downloaded every day uh, from the qualitative report because they're free. And we've had some papers that have been downloaded 20,000 times. And they're usually how-to papers, how to do a an interview, how to do thematic analysis. That that's what seemed, you know, we publish lots of reports of completed work. But we publish many papers about reporting about how to do qualitative research. And those are our most popular ones. And so that's now, so we, we publish uh, monthly but every week we release new articles and now we get, geez, I mean, every month we get 50 to 60 new papers every month. So that's a, a major part of that. And we, we well, we, we wouldn't be good research if we didn't collect the data. And we asked the authors, you know, what did you think about the experience and why did you pick us and so forth? And uh, I don't know, Sal, you want to talk about what the authors are telling us, what they like about this, this development process we put them through? Well, um, and Dan, you can share some of the comments you've gotten too. There's been a great appreciation for the time that's been taken, the clarity. Um, and even when um, sometimes it's difficult to do it in, in uh, written comments. And I think part of that is just the differences in language. And unfortunately, I'm limited to English and my authors are not necessarily. So uh, sometimes it has been easier actually to have a Zoom call with them and to clarify what I meant or what we were hoping for or what they were meaning and what they were hoping for. So I think that there's this um, almost like we just become real friendly and appreciative of each other's time and effort and investment in making sure that um, whatever we publish, whatever we publish, people can feel a real sense of pride in. Dan, how about because, you? The, because we go back and forth with authors, rather than just give them a summative evaluation, which some journals just thereby reject articles. We, we work with them and reports from the authors are oftentimes things like, I learned more about qualitative research by working with you through my paper development than I did in the courses that I took, which kind of then led us to believe that maybe, yes, this is where you learn how to do qualitative research by doing it, 
and working with a, a mentor editor who is going to take the time to kind of bring you along. And some authors have been very, very appreciative of that and noticed that this was launching them into their career of doing more qualitative research. And we've had a number of people who are now accomplished authors of books of qualitative research mm -hmm. who did some of their earliest work with us. So speaking about coming here to learn qualitative research, I want to take a step back, maybe a couple years. Ron, before I joined, you guys started an annual conference. Um, can you talk a little bit about like what went into that and, and what was the format of that and the thinking uh, behind doing that? And I, I want to say that this probably started in 2010. Oh my gosh, that's our memories. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, we were very lonely, Adam. We were lonely. We were spending all these weekends, and at least Sally and Dan, you know, they're together. I'm, you know, in the office and just reading these papers. And uh, well, what trend that we noticed is that, um, you know, again, a lot of journals are published by association. So I, I was the editor of the Journal of, of Marital and Family Therapy, and that's the, the journal of the American Association of Marital and Family Therapy. And uh, so there would be a coming together of a conference. And one time, if you presented a paper at the uh, family therapy conference, you had to send it to the journal. It was like a proprietary thing. The editor before me stopped that and said, no, people should be able to send the papers where they want to. So I thought, well, maybe that was an interesting idea. I think uh, Norm Denzen had started it up at uh, Qualitative Inquiry up at the University of Illinois. And so many communities, University of Georgia had one. They didn't publish a journal, but those were very important to us, I think, uh, growing up and to be able then to meet with uh, people, you know, when you go to other conferences that are in your profession, I used to get whiplash when I hear someone say qualitative research. What, what? Well, you go to these, that's what everybody's talking about. It. You know, it's kind of bringing folks together. So the very first one, um, we uh, we looked at our editorial group and it was pretty much we, we presented on how-to workshops based upon uh, what we, you know, we were sharing face-to-face -face, uh, what we were doing with uh, online. And so then the next year, I think, then we shifted into a call for papers. And so uh, we also said that if anybody uh, at paper was accepted to the journal, they were welcome to present their paper at the conference as well. And of course, people at the conference were invited. If you want to submit your paper to the journal, you can do that as well. So we started seeing where, you know, just again, the idea that people could have multiple relationships with us. You could be an author, you could be a presenter, you could be a reviewer, you could be an editor. And a lot of, as, you know, Sally and Dan talked before, you maybe start as a reader. So uh, we would do it every January. Uh, we would do it, I think we started one day, then two days, then three days. And then Adam said, you know, come on, I, gotta, I need a life, can't do it every day. And then we started where we would have so many of our plenary or keynote speakers. And we just brought some really fantastic people in, like a Johnny Saldana or Ivana Lincoln and, and uh, Valerie Jans Jensik and people like that coming in that we we wanted to hang out with and uh, that we thought other people would do. Jonathan Smith, uh, you know, the IPA uh, co-creator. And it just started creating, in some ways, almost a very different community of people that would come in. Uh, we did things with, uh, we would also associate with other groups. We had a group from the Taos. Institute one year that we're working on different research. They were, we invited them to be a track or be part of that. 
Uh, we would connect with other programs at my university that they might have a group of doctoral students that were in on like a, a week long and they were invited to come to our uh, workshops and they would open up their uh, presentations to our presenters. So we, we did that for a number of years. And uh, then when COVID hit, uh, we went online. And so Adam has been very fundamental in, in uh, helping us kind of look at different ways that we could um, organize the, uh, the, the, the conference. The conference also serves as our, our editorial board is invited to come in. But we don't just, when we have our editorial board meeting, it's not just the board members. Everybody at the conference is invited to come in. And we can recruit them. But, you know, they're invited to come in and to be a part of that process. And so uh, Adam has been, uh, you know, he, he's came in and kind of helped us to kind of create this integrated community. And uh, so why don't you talk about, I guess, the, the conference, the websites, and then the social media that you really brought together for our community? Uh, sounds good. Uh, one thing I wanted to make a point of, I love the name dropping. I love the Saldana and the Smith name dropping. You know, if you're listening out there, we may be, you know, have to get in touch with one of you guys. But uh, yeah, I think I don't want to dive too deep because I want to save some of the juicy information for part two. But the reason I asked about the conference is because when I started, that was one of the interesting aspects that I uh, played a role in. And I got to kind of see how the journal community interacted with the conference community. And since the conference had already, or since the journal had already been going for about 30 years at that point, but the conference itself was only a year old. So I got to kind of see the growth in that over the next few years. And um, it was an interesting experience. It learned a lot doing that. Um, but yeah, no, I think, I think that that's great. I think we should, uh, wrap it up for part one well let me just add one thing and it's, it's what dan said earlier is that what you kept going you know we could use the word brand if you want yeah is that you worked on developing really great relationships with these conference goers and the presenters mm -hmm. you know adam's very shy and so um he's always out working the desk and all that but whenever we bring them in they go oh that's adam that's Adam. oh yeah so this whole thing about trying to be supportive because one of the things we, we, you know, we, we developed a, a video for presenters and saying, here's how to make a really good presentation at a qualitative research conference. So we always see these as, as a way to learn. But under, underlining all of this is Adam's you know, sole uh, purpose in life is, is to connect people and to create very positive relationships. So whatever we had created through our text and, you know, more intermittent calls like the Sally and Dan were describing to this kind of face-to-face -face event. And people felt the same uh, uh, support, uh, the same embrace, the same appreciation uh, that they had experienced uh, with the journal. And I guess what we're gonna talk about next time is then how we've then sort of extrapolated that uh, into the, uh, the social uh, media and uh, social relationships uh, with all the stuff that Adam does uh, I think Sally. Yeah, I think he. That's what he does all weekend now. That's it's like we we've ruined a weekend for somebody else now. So <laughs> that's probably Ron. That's a good point. That this is a journal that was created by three family therapists. You know, we see that's that's where this relational stuff comes from. Is this our primary discipline? So I don't know if three people from another profession how they would have created a journal like this. But ours has really been embedded in. 
treating people with the kind of respect that we feel that everybody deserves. Yeah, I was joking about Krypton, but those are kind of our superpowers. Yeah. You know, I think and it's, it's clear that that's the tone, not only of the journal itself, but of everything that we do that's a part of it. You know, like Ron said, the conference that I get so many comments, you know, when the conference was in person before COVID about how comfortable they feel here and how like warm the environment is. And it's not your typical, like you have to wear a suit and you have like, it's a very family community oriented um, experience that they have. And some of these folks, they, they have only presented a few times. So they're nervous and, you know, they, they want to feel like they're wanted and they want to feel like they're not under too much pressure. So I get those comments often. So I guess as the tease for the next one, you'll also explain the importance of a sushi boat. <laughs> 